you'll turn to the book of Proverbs, and if you don't have a Bible with you, the guys do. Aaron and Gene and Larry have some. Get their attention, and they'll get a Bible to you. It's marked to Proverbs chapter 1. nearly a month since I last opened the Word of God to you in our worship service because in the three weeks since August 8th and the conclusion of our survey of the book of Hebrews, we've been treated to the preaching ministry of Pastor Matt and then Brother Zach Hamilton and last week Brother Larry Castle and a treat indeed it was. All of those men handle the scriptures carefully and they explain it clearly. And we as a church are very blessed to have each of them. And I want to add my public commendation to the private expression of gratitude that I've already given to each of them. Today we begin a series in the book of Proverbs. Now why this book? Why Proverbs? One reason is I try to alternate between the Old Testament and the New Testament as we do series so that over time you get a fairly wide sampling of scriptural teaching through what we do in this hour throughout the year. And so we completed the New Testament book of Hebrews and so it's time for an Old Testament book. Now before I give you another reason why we're going to be looking at Proverbs, let me say that what I said just a moment ago, that we try in this hour to give a sampling of scriptural teaching that needs a brief explanation. The reason I say a sampling is because that's really all you can get in the very brief time that we have together each week if you, if you think about it. If we average 40 minutes multiplied by the number of weeks that I actually preach through a book, it's about 40 weeks during a 52-week year due to the holidays, communion, having special speakers in, and so on. So you're looking at 1,600 minutes in a year. Do you know how many minutes there are in a year? 525,600. So that means for 524,000 minutes, we're all doing something else. And so it follows, does it not, that this cannot be your only or even your main intake of God's Word. If we covered every one of the 66 books of the Bible together throughout our tenure together here, and let's say it took six months for each of those books, some would be longer, some shorter, but average of six months, it would take 33 years to cover the Bible. I'll be 81 at that point. I'll be disappointed if I'm still preaching probably at that. No, I guess I'll be, no, I won't be in heaven. I'll be disappointed. And no doubt you'll be disappointed as well. And so it's imperative that you take advantage of the other means that we offer to help you become a what we call a self-feeder. To read and study and learn the Word of God in addition to what we do here. And that's why we offer things like our Community Institute. That's going to start on October 6th, and I encourage every one of you who is able to register for those classes. It it augments, it supplements, it helps you to learn the Bible. In January, we're going to do a series called The Bible in 90 Days. 90 days, read through the entire Bible. 
So that's going to be in January. It's going to be New Year's resolution time. So in addition to the resolution to lose weight, get a new attitude, stop smoking, whatever it is, the resolution to read through the Bible together in January. So one reason we're doing this is I like to alternate when possible between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but I've chosen Proverbs as the Old Testament book because it's particularly timely. The title of this series is Living Wisely in a Foolish World. And that's timely because the foolishness that characterizes our world becomes more acute every day. We see the foolishness in our world when we look at what people consider to be important. What it is they pursue with their lives. What it is that they, and sadly we, use our money to obtain. We see it in how people use and abuse the good gifts that a good God has provided to move us in a good direction. Marriage is a good gift from a good God. But it's used and abused. Our homes, our families in general, are to be a good gift from a good God. But they are used and abused. They are not used as designed. And we see that in the turmoil and the rancor and the ruptures that occur in our families. Our bodies are abused both by us and sometimes by others, not being used as designed. Our government... No matter which party is in power, and we've seen that in particular over this past decade. We had a Republican administration, now we have a Democrat administration. But in both cases, our government apparently has no fixed principles by which it operates, both fiscally and morally. The fiscal malpractice of our government over many, many years now is painfully evident, is it not? It spends more than it takes in year after year. Its people follow suit, and then we're aghast when we find ourselves beholden to hostile entities like China, from whom we have to borrow to stay afloat, if you can believe that. It's true. Adherence to the wisdom of Proverbs would have kept us from this abyss that we're now looking at. Because it warns us in chapter 22 and verse 7, the borrower is servant to the lender. Theologian Richard Mayhew says about this foolish condition of our world. He says, we live in a time when sin is paraded around as nothing more than sickness. Drug consumption is spoken of as recreation. When the family is considered outdated and an endangered species. Evil is labeled as good. Immorality is heralded as sexual freedom. Pornography is freedom of speech. Unbalanced budgets are the rule, not the exception. Homosexuality is being defined as an alternative lifestyle. Abortion is sugar-coated by calling it, quote, post-conception birth control. And lawlessness is condoned as liberation. And so is it timely? To have wisdom from God in the midst of a clearly foolish world. But where do we turn? To whom do we listen? You all remember that that was really the question in the garden. To whom are you going to listen? God had told them what to do. But then in chapter 3, another voice, a foreign voice, an alien voice, a contrary voice, an erroneous voice enters the equation. And the question for our first parents was, and for us is, to whom will we listen? 
And the serpent still speaks. The serpent still speaks through a thousand megaphones. Through the media, through your friends at work, perhaps through your family, even sometimes those dressed in religious garb, the serpent still speaks and has a thousand voices through megaphones, and our world still chooses to listen to him rather than the one who made us. But a good, now hear this, a good God still speaks above the din, above the cacophony of sound and voices that is Satan's multiplication through the world that is at least temporarily his. He's the ruler of this world, the Bible says. But a good God still speaks above all of that. And in the midst of the darkness and the foolishness, the sound of God's voice, the one who knows all about us, the one who knows the mess that we have made, who knows how we can avoid the danger that is ahead, the one who cares enough for us to give us light in this darkness, to give us wisdom in the midst of this pervasive foolishness. That God speaks. The conclusion of one of the books in your Bible, the Bible is the book through which he speaks. I trust most of you know that. One of those books contained in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, at the very end, let me read for you what it says. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, at the end of the dispensing of much wisdom in a foolish world, it says, The teacher was wise, and he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered, and he searched out, and he set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son and daughter, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now, do you know who wrote that? It was Solomon. And it is Solomon who wrote the vast majority of the Proverbs that we are going to consider over the next several weeks together. But what Solomon is saying at the end of Ecclesiastes, and we need to be reminded of at the outset of our study of the book of Proverbs, is the unique authority, the unique voice that is God's Word, that is the Bible, that is Scripture. So that every time we come to it both together and I trust in your private time. And as you study the word of God and learn it, every time you come, you remember this is God's word. And a good God has given his good word for the good purpose of leading me in a good direction. I'd like to take just a few minutes to let you... let to, Explain what it is that Solomon's saying at the end of Ecclesiastes, and then we'll begin with our study of the book of Proverbs. But he says in that last portion of Ecclesiastes, he says that the word of God, the words of the wise, are like goads. And what he's saying when he says that is this that the word of God motivates, it 
prods us into action, into proper action. It moves us in the right direction. Have you noticed I keep saying a good God has given us the good gift of His good word to lead us in a good direction? The words of the wise are like goads and... That's describing an ox goad. It was a long pole with a sharpened end. It was 12 to 16 feet long. And as one would plow behind a team of oxen, he would rest the the goad on his shoulder and then on the plow. And if the oxen stopped, he would simply use that goad to give some encouragement to keep going. And that's what the Bible is being compared to. The words of the wise are like a goad for us. And so it has some implications. It means that the preaching of the Word is the tool and the study and intake of the Word is the tool used to cause us to choose what's right, to move in the right direction. It also implies that we do not do, by nature, what we ought to do. We need to be constantly under the sound of the Word of God. Do you understand that? Because we don't by nature. By nature, what we do, we will drift. We'll go in the wrong direction. It means that the change process is often painful. You're being goaded. You're being chided by the Word of God to see the error of your way and to move into His way. And so the Word of God is used to prod, to motivate us to do what we do not do by nature. But Solomon also said in that passage that the words of the wise are like like goads, and then he says they're like firmly embedded nails. It's like the image of taking a long bolt and taking one of those, and I'm not a construction guy, but taking one of those ram sets, you know, an air gun or something, and putting that through the wood to start the foundation and deep into the concrete so that that thing will stand for years to come. And why will it stand? Because it rests and it's secure because of firmly embedded nails. The Word of God anchors our lives like firmly embedded nails. And these sayings of the wise that we're going to consider in the book of Proverbs that are part of this Word of God, that give us this security in life, give us this direction in life, are powerful because they have a divine source. Solomon said there that they are from one shepherd. You see, Solomon was writing... But I believe he understood that what he was writing were words that would be preserved for future generations, for millennia now, because ultimately they have come from God. And so, friends, when we begin the study, living wisely in a foolish world through another of the books that Solomon wrote under inspiration from Almighty God, we need to ask ourselves, to whom are we going to listen? One of the great choices you will make is to whom will you give your ear? Ask yourself, who can I trust to tell me the truth about myself and about my situation? Not very many, right? You talk to most people, they'll tell you, yeah, you're right. Oh, I agree with you. Oh, yeah, he's an idiot. Sure. Oh, absolutely. But when they talk to the guy that they called an idiot, guess who you are? Most people tell you what they want to hear, what you want to hear. Most people want you to tell them what they want to hear. But who can I trust to tell me the truth about myself and about my situation? Because one, they know, they know the truth about me. And secondly, they have the integrity, the honesty to tell it like it is. Who is that? 
It's Almighty God. And this good God has given you the good gift of His good word to move you in a good direction. And we have an outline for you that's inserted in your program. And we have a take-home truth there that says this good God knows what we need. And He cares enough to provide it for us. We're going to see that together. Let's ask the Lord to bless us as we do. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to embark on this study in your word. And I'm thankful, Lord, for these brief moments to be able to recount what a marvelous gift it is from you that you have deigned to give us your good word. And so, Lord, I pray that we will take it seriously and we will benefit from it greatly. And as a result of us over these many weeks putting into practice in our homes and in our workplaces and our personal lives and our church, as a result of us putting the principles we learn here in place, may you be glorified in our lives. May you be pleased with us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Proverbs chapter 1. And I say in your outline that God, we're going to learn here, provides truth. Because in verse 1 it says this. Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. God provides truth for us. Verse 1 is telling us that he has given us these Proverbs through the hand of Solomon, whom I'll describe in some detail in just a bit. But before I do, just I want you to consider this. In theory, at least, is it not the case, just in theory, have you ever thought about this? <laughs> God doesn't have to tell us anything. That's the reason that I keep calling it a good gift. Because God doesn't have... He's not obligated to tell me anything. He can leave me in the dark. He can leave me and you groping around in the darkness and where would we be? He's given us His Word and we tend to ignore it. Look where we are. What if He never gave us anything? What if He didn't give us direction? Where would we be? Have any of you ever taken a position, gotten a job? And you go to the job and they have a, you have a title but you really don't know what your responsibilities are? You haven't been shown how to do it? I've been in that situation. It's a very uncomfortable situation. You flounder around. Think about life being that way. God could have created us, left us here to fend for ourselves. But a good God has done this good thing of giving us His Word. God provides truth. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, he says, I've given the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. In doing this, in giving us this truth, he's done it through, I say in your outline, an outstanding messenger. Now, who is this outstanding messenger? Well, the very first verse says, at least these opening Proverbs are from Solomon. We're going to see as we go forward that a few other people were involved in composing and compiling the collection of 31 chapters of the Proverbs that we have in your Bible. But they were almost entirely, mostly written by this one Solomon. And who is this Solomon, then this outstanding messenger that God has used? He was, without question, the most famous king in history. Under Solomon's leadership, Israel reached its pinnacle of greatness. It says in verse 1 that he is Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. He ascended the throne that was left to him by his father David, and he established a kingdom that was renowned for its wealth and for its wisdom. 
And it's this one who speaks to us then in these Proverbs. Today and the weeks ahead, none other than King Solomon, the sage of all sages, is going to speak to us. I trust that we will be prepared to listen. And he's not just another voice offering yet another opinion. But his words were superintended by the God of heaven. And therefore he speaks powerfully and he speaks authoritatively. Now what are his credentials? He was the king. He's used by God to pen these words. But what were his experiences such that we should listen to him? Well, the Bible tells us a few things about him I'd like to share. He was wise. Shortly after Solomon was seated on the throne, the Bible says the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And on the screen I have for you that God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. Just stop. And ask yourself, if God gave you that deal, tell me whatever you want. And we might kid ourselves to say, yeah, I'd be down with Solomon. I'd do what he did. Well, think about what you request from God now. What do our prayer lists look like? Do you know what our church prayer list is? It's what, it's what one person called the organ recital. It's all the organs that are failing. Now we can and we should pray for physical well-being. But it should not be the case, friends, that our requests to God are dominated by physical and material things. And so the mere fact that Solomon would ask for something other than if I had a million dollars or if I had a perfect body or whatever it is, ask whatever. And Solomon says, give your servant a discerning heart. And God was pleased. And so... God said to him, Since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. The Solomon who gives us these Proverbs, friends, was on the authority of Almighty God, the wisest man who ever lived. And so we sit at his feet and we are instructed. And he was, because of the gift of God, amazingly wealthy. In his day, there was no king who was richer. Here was a man whose coffers overflowed with wealth. He had gold and silver unimaginable. He had elaborate buildings. He had ornate gardens, the Bible tells us. As his fame spread, the queen of Sheba in Africa heard of his glories and she determined to visit this man and to see his splendor firsthand. She visited, she saw, and then she said, the half has not been told. Solomon could do, therefore, whatever he wanted. The reason I'm telling you this is because the wisdom that he dispenses now in the book of Proverbs comes from one who had the means to do literally whatever he wanted. 
He had the money to do that. And he also had the power to do that. In Solomon's day, the king was supreme. There were no checks and balances. The word of the king was law. Whatever he desired was carried out immediately. There were virtually no limitations whatsoever upon anything he desired to do. And so he was a man of unparalleled wisdom and wealth and unlimited power. And these things meant that this Solomon was greatly experienced. He knew all of life. He knew all about it. It's good and it's bad and it's ugly. Every piece of it. And he contributed three books to the Bible. The Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs. And here's a summary then of what the Bible tells us about Solomon's lifetime. The Bible says, During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel lived in safety, each man under his own vine and fig tree. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for chariot horses, 12,000 horses. The district officers, each in his month, supplied provisions for King Solomon and all who came to the king's table. They saw to it that nothing was lacking. They also brought to the proper place their quotas of barley and straw for the chariot horses and the other horses. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all of the men of the East. Greater than the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke, now see this, he spoke 3,000 proverbs. And his songs numbered 1,005. Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs. Some of those proverbs were penned and are preserved for us in what we call the book of Proverbs. And so this good God has given us this good gift. And he's used this outstanding messenger to do that. This good God has given us this good gift. And he's used this outstanding messenger in Solomon to provide it for us. But I say in your outline, he also provides an understandable message. Because verse 1 of chapter 1 says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. And so we need to make sure we understand what a proverb is. Proverb is, in just a simple definition, a short saying of wisdom. A short statement of wisdom. A memorable statement of wisdom. And so we have proverbs that we have outside of the Bible. Lots of them. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. That's a proverb. Now, here's one of the things that we need to understand about a proverb, though. It's not a blanket guarantee, but rather it's a general truth about life. It doesn't apply in every single situation, but it applies in most situations. If you follow the wisdom of the proverb, then things will go well with you. And so, if you eat healthy, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, you will generally be healthy, is the idea. But if you make the mistake of taking a proverb as an absolute truth, well, then you could get in real trouble. For instance, Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, if you take that as a legal guarantee, it means if you raise your kid right, he'll turn out right. Generally, that's true. It is not absolutely true. 
Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4 tells us, Ezekiel chapter 18 tells us that there are times when a righteous man will have a violent son. There are times when a violent man will have a righteous son. But generally the truth is, if you train them right, they will turn out right. And so we have here a collection of authoritative, eternal, spiritual truths from God through the hand primarily of Solomon. But there are secular proverbs as well, an apple a day, or a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. You've seen the Geico commercial? Some of these, some of these are a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Is actually, a, it's pretty good. You know, go with what you got rather than what you might get. You got one bird. Don't leave that bird to try to get the other two. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So sometimes these are good. Sometimes though, they uh, and they're helpful. Sometimes they're uh, harmful. God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? You ever said that? Do you think that's in the Bible? It's not. I've had people quote it to me as from the Bible. I'm not kidding. And it's harmful because it could not be further from the truth. It is not, the gospel is not first that I help myself and then God jumps in and adds some help. The gospel is that a good God helps the helpless and bows to where we are and to the point of our need. Sometimes they can be harmful in other ways as well. Where there's a will, there's a way. It's a proverb. A secular proverb. It's generally true. If we try hard enough, generally we can get more done than we otherwise think we could, accomplish more than we otherwise think we could. But did you know, friends, that sometimes you can will all you want and there's no way? And sometimes we can use these proverbs, now hear this, sometimes we can use short statements to excuse our responsibility. Where there's a will, there's a way, meaning you don't need my help, you just need more will. When God calls us to help people who are in need. Think about in Luke chapter 10. Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. But a guy had been beaten and robbed, left for dead. And a couple of people walk by him. Could they say to this guy who's asking for help, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Jesus doesn't commend that. Jesus commends the guy who actually gets in, gets his hand dirty, and he help, hands dirty, and he helps. Or, how about this? Charity begins at home. That's a proverb. If what we mean by that is take care of your family, make sure they have their needs met before you're meeting the needs of everybody else, I'm good with that. That's true. If what it means is charity begins at home and so there's always something that I need slash not need, there's always something I want. Until I get all of my stuff, I can't go help somebody else. Then it's profoundly wrong. And further, it's challenged by the Word of God. Brothers, we want you to know, the New Testament says. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given the Macedonian churches. Now notice this. Out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, they welled up in rich generosity. Notice, charity begins at home. (laughs) Take care of your stuff first. And the Macedonian churches said, we've got great needs. 
But out of our great need, we want to help others. And Paul goes on to write, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Now I belabor that for this reason, friends. Be careful of just using quick statements to justify what we already want to do. And Proverbs can be used that way, whether secular Proverbs or sacred Proverbs. God provides truth. And He provides truth through an outstanding messenger and an understandable message. Simple sayings, but they have the advantage, the great advantage, of being inerrant, without error. Absolutely authoritative. Ultimately from Almighty God. He provides this truth. But notice in your outline as well. He provides this truth for a purpose. He provides it to give us what we need. He provides instructions for us on how to behave, on how to think, and how to obey what He has said. I'll go through this relatively quickly because we will have time now in the weeks ahead to go through these instructions. But those who have studied the book of Proverbs have concluded, most have concluded, that this collection of Proverbs was given to the people of Israel and now to us in posterity. It was given to do two things, to train future leaders for the nation. And then secondly, to help us avoid the pitfalls of life. Train future leaders. Help the common people, us, avoid the pitfalls of life. God knows what we need. He knows we need leaders who can lead in a God-honoring direction. He knows that we need, as we pursue our lives, the ability to have wisdom such that we can avoid the pitfalls of life. And the book of Proverbs is given. It's God giving truth for what we need. Would our nation would our nation be so much better off if our leaders were trained in the wisdom of Proverbs? Would we be so much better off if we followed in our own lives the wisdom of Proverbs? God gives truth for what we need, and He provides instructions for how to behave, how to think, and how to obey. First, how to behave. Verse 2 says, These Proverbs are given for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight. Now, if you notice on your outline, for A, it says he provides instructions for how to behave, and then it has verse 2, the first part of verse 2, and then verses 3 and 4. And here's why. What you have in verse 2 is two purpose statements for these Proverbs being given. Verse 2, you have attaining wisdom and discipline, and then you have a second thing, understanding words of insight. And that's why I've said in your outline, A and B, you all see it? That he gives us instructions for, one, how to behave. That's the first part of verse 2, wisdom and discipline. But then he gives us instructions for how to think. That's the second part of verse 2, for understanding words of insight. And then what he does is, in verses 3 and 4, it explains the first of those. And in verse 6, it explains the second of those. And that's why I have those listed in your outline. Do you all catch that? So you got two things in verse 2, A and B. 
A is explained in verses 3 and 4. B is explained in verse 6. And you have a parenthetical statement in verse 5. He provides instructions for how to behave, for attaining wisdom and discipline. So what is wisdom and what is discipline? Wisdom is this Hebrew word that's used many, many times throughout your Old Testament. Chokmah. And it means basically this. It means skill for living. It gives you skill for how to live everyday life. And the Proverbs are given, one of the main purposes for which they're given is so that we can attain this skill for living. And so it's used in a number of places throughout your Old Testament. Exodus 31, at the building of the, the, the temple, the building of the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 31, God says, I have given skill, and the word skill is hokmah. I've given wisdom to all the craftsmen to make everything I've commanded you. It's used in Psalm 107 to refer to sailors, experienced, seasoned sailors who were at their wits' end. By the way, you ever said that? Somebody's at their wits' end? That's where it comes from. But these seasoned sailors were in such a storm, such a calamity, they were at their wits, and the word for wits is hokmah. They were at wisdom's end. They didn't have any skill for handling this. They didn't know what to do. Or, the Bible refers to wisdom from God to do the task of administering justice, skillful application of law to a situation, administering justice, or to skillful advice given. They gave to all the people wise advice from a particular woman. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is skillful living. It is making application of what we proper application of what we know. Now that gives you a definition then of foolishness. Foolishness is the opposite of wisdom. Foolishness is the failure to apply what we know. And so see, here's the thing about a fool. A fool is not ignorant. A fool is one who fails to apply what he or she knows. That is why in Psalm 14 and verse 1, the Bible says, The fool has said in his heart, you all remember? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Why? Because he does not know there's a God? No, he knows there's a God. Everyone knows there's a God. It's because he fails to apply what he knows, and so he says in his heart, and he seeks to deny what in fact he knows. And in living, people do that. They live foolishly. And so they do not live as intended, as designed, as opposed to wisdom, which is skillful living, proper application of the knowledge we've been given. So the book of Proverbs is given to instruct us on how to behave, to give us wisdom, but also to give discernment, or excuse me, discipline, in verse 2. And discipline is the necessary companion of wisdom. It means training our moral nature. It corrects our waywardness as we move toward foolishness, which all of us do from time to time. And we, we are disciplined to develop a reverence for the Lord and personal integrity. And you're given in verses 3 and 4 just an explanation then of that first purpose for Proverbs. Attaining wisdom and discipline. Then in verse 3, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. That's all an explanation of the process and what's involved for that first part of verse 2, attaining wisdom and discipline. Now, 
I don't have time to go through verses 3 and 4. You'll be glad to know all of God's people said, don't say amen. But we will have occasion to look at each of those terms and what they mean in the, in the weeks ahead. But understand for now that verses 3 and 4 are explaining the first part of verse 2. And then the second thing that Proverbs does is it gives us instructions not just for how to behave, but also for how to think. The last part of verse 2, for understanding words of insight. And then verse 6 is the expansion of that. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. So these proverbs are given to teach us how we should use our minds, on what we should focus our minds, on how we should ponder the things that we encounter and the propositions with which we are confronted. Throughout the book of Proverbs, you will have short statements of wisdom about how to use your thinking process. And then last and most important, all of this is for a particular purpose. A good God provides instructions not only for how to behave and how to think, but how to obey. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. That verse is the theme verse of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Sometimes it is said in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And notice in verse 7, I want you to see something important. The fear of the Lord. You see the word Lord? You see those four letters are all capitalized? So the NIV translation, which most of you have in front of you, uses the convention of translating the Hebrew name Yahweh with four capital letters, L-O-R-D. Whenever you see those four capital letters, it's a translation of the Hebrew name Yahweh. There's another name for Lord in your Old Testament, Adonai. And there are times where you'll see the English word Lord, but it's a translation not of the name Yahweh, but of Adonai. Instead of four capital letters, it'll be capital L, but then small O-R-D. But here it is, Yahweh, the fear of Yahweh. Now, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because Adonai is the general term for the mastery, the control, the sovereignty of God over his world in general. Yahweh is the name, the personal name of God by which he is known by his people. And what Solomon is saying is, the fear of Yahweh only comes when you have a personal relationship with the true and living God. Proverbs and the wisdom that are given in this book are not for everybody equally. A person who does not know God, the true and living God, Yahweh, will not be able to obey, will not even have the desire to obey the things that are included in this book. And that's why I say it the way I do in the outline. He provides instructions for how to obey. The only way for you to be able to obey, for me to be able to obey, is for us to be in right relationship with the true and living God. The fear of the Lord, Yahweh, is the beginning of knowledge, of wisdom. Now, how do I attain that relationship? 
we are going to find as we move forward in Proverbs that there are allusions in this book to none other than God having come in the flesh hundreds of years later in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he is called wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And we look forward to him. And the Bible tells us that that Jesus Christ in the New Testament is the wisdom of God. And the only means by which someone can have a relationship with Almighty God, the true and living God, Yahweh, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, friends, as we start out in our study of the book of Proverbs, I have to invite every one of you to establish a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As you begin this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, now you have the equipment, you have what is necessary, His Holy Spirit, a desire that He gives you for His Word, an affinity for His truth, in order to be able to obey the wisdom that He gives us in these instructions in Proverbs. And so how do I, how do, I do that? Well, you recognize who you are and you recognize who Jesus is and what He did. Who's who you are? And I am. I'm a sinner. If in one way, and all of us have done in a myriad ways, but if in one way you have violated God's moral standard, then you're a sinner. That includes all of us. But you recognize that God came to do for you what you could not do for yourselves, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. God the Son came as a perfect sacrifice in your place to die on the cross. You repent of your sin. And you receive Jesus Christ into your life. How do I do that? We're going to pray in just a moment. And as we do, I invite you to pray a prayer like this. It's not a magic formula. It's from your heart to God, but you acknowledge I have sinned. I believe Jesus is the only way for me to have my sin forgiven. I ask you to forgive me and I give my life to you. I want to go your way and not my way. And you will begin to have this thing called the fear of the Lord. The reverence, the awe, the proper placement of God on His throne and in your life that the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. It begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you can have it right now. Let's bow before the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time again that we can look into the pages of your word and see there the good gift that you've provided in order for us to be led in a good direction in a dark and foolish world. Thank you for your servants who's penned these, who's, who's given us these proverbs and for preserving these for our use. We thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ. Yahweh has come in the flesh so that we can have a relationship with the true and living God. And we can then have what is necessary to, to put you on your throne, to see you in proper relationship to us and to your world, to have this reverence, this awe, this submission to you that is the fear of the Lord. Because we have that fear of the Lord, we then desire to follow what you say. And you give us your Holy Spirit, which gives us the ability to do what we otherwise would not be able to do. We thank you for these and a myriad other gifts that you provided for your people. Lord, may there be those right now who are praying from their heart to you to establish this relationship with the true and living God and thus benefit from the wisdom that you provide for living in your world. And Lord, for we who have done that and who are living according... 
attempting to live according to your principles. Oh, Lord God, we struggle. I struggle. We need your grace. We need your grace every moment of every day. We thank you for the grace that you have given, that you will give, and particularly in these weeks ahead, the grace of the instruction that you've provided in this marvelous book of Proverbs. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.